0: Welcome to the Fabricators Coach Podcast, and we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today. Information that, if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. Welcome everybody here on Thursday. Appreciate y'all taking some time out of your day. Uh, glad to have you here. We've got uh, probably um, two dozen folks signed up. We'll we'll get anywhere between what we have now. We may get a few more that'll show up, but we'll see how that goes. Um, what we're going to do today is uh, we've got kind of a unique setup. We're going to cover, as usual, our our latest um, yeah our latest article out of the Slippery Rock Gazette which you can get a copy of uh, at fabricatorscoach.com, select the blog item and uh, blog menu selection and and download there. Or you can go to slippyrockgazette.net and uh, read their current issue and you can catch, uh, pick this article up. Plus they've got a great archive uh, set up where you can go through and, and um, arch- so read all your past articles there. So uh, this article is uh, from again from first of this month, and it's called "So You Want to Sell Your Business." And it appears we have uh, struck a nerve somewhere, so we've got a lot of folks who are interested in in talking about this and looking at this. So we're going to uh, to dive into it. The way we're set up with this is we've got basically about you know there may be thirty minutes of prepared content, but this is really more of a discussion than a presentation. Uh, I've got a guest co-presenter with us. We'll introduce in just a minute, but this is uh, this really is designed to be some peer-to-peer learning. You folks will have some questions. Some of you may have some experience along the lines of today's topic. Uh, so we'll be, you know, doing a little bit of presentation, also asking a lot of questions. And as we ask questions, if nobody answers, I'll call on you. So <laughs> get ready for that. You, you can run, but you can't hide. Um, <laughs> We've got about uh, we've got this set up for 60 minutes, but as usual, we'll stop at the top of the hour and then we will just leave the meeting open for another 20 or 30 minutes in case somebody else has got some some specific questions and, and things like that uh, that they want to discuss maybe one-on-one. So we do that as a just a way to kind of help you out a little bit. Um, one of the things we also do is we convert these webinars to podcasts. Uh, So we'll go through and and re-listen to this, re-listen to the recording afterwards. Anything that sounds um, a little, uh, maybe a little personal, a little confidential, we'll we'll edit those out. So uh, don't worry about things like that. Reason we do this, you know, folks, I ask, why do you put the time and effort into the articles and the webinars and podcasts and all that? I truly believe that it's important that your business not only makes you money but also gives you time to enjoy it and and the way to do that if you're struggling with it is to find time to work on your business and not just work in your business and so we do these webinars to give you some some suggestions on how to do that uh so hopefully they'll they're helpful for you before we get into the the content here um let's do some introductions and i think the first first introduction really uh, we've got a, uh, a guest co-host who also helped write the article and it's Chase Busenbark. Uh Chase, you want to take just a second and just uh, introduce yourself for the folks? Absolutely.
1: Thanks. Thanks, Ed. Um, my name is Chase Buesenbark. I come from the stone industry for, for my entire life. My my family's owned a fabrication shop uh, close to around the St. Louis, Missouri area for the last 20, 22 years. And, um, I've been fully involved up until the last couple of years. I, I started doing uh, business brokerage, which is, you know, essentially helping business owners whenever they are ready to sell their business. Um, and, and that's currently what I'm doing. Ed.
0: All right. So you're a certified business broker, right? <clears throat> that is correct. Okay. All, right. All right. Great. So let's dive into the the meat of this thing here. We we tried to in roll well, me back up for those of you that uh, that haven't been here before. Quick introduction for for me. Obviously, I'm I'm Ed Young. I've got over 40 years experience in manufacturing, business ownership, and coach, coaching. I've worked with literally hundreds of companies in a lot of industries, including this one. Uh, my first project in this industry was over 20 years ago. I've owned my own brick and mortar business. So I understand those of you who are owners, you know, how, how lonely it can be at times is that one person on the Island by yourself having to be responsible for everything. I also ran a countertop shop for a few years. So I think I've got a pretty decent feel for the business and the industry. And I've dealt with a lot of the challenges that um, a lot of you folks are dealing with every day. So again, welcome. And thanks for taking time out of your Thursday in the, in the article, you when know, we start talking about the the uh, the topic of selling your business, there's a lot of things you can get into. So we tried to hit kind of the top two or three key items, and I think one of the biggest ones that, at least from my experience, talking with business owners who are actively selling or who are, you know, getting ready to make that decision to sell, is answering this question: What's my business worth? Um, and one of the reasons I think this is an important topic, not just for the, the obvious reasons, of you want to sell it and, and get some money out of it, is that it seems like every time I have this conversation with an owner, it's not a happy conversation. And um, I, the reason is I think folks don't understand a lot of times how a business is valued. One of the most common ways to value a business is just take net earnings, multiply it by a number, and you get a value there. And there's, there's a little bit more to it than that. I've oversimplified it. But Chase, you want to kind of walk us through a little bit about how this net earnings or EBITDA and, and the multiple, how that drives the value of a business? Kind of educate us a little bit, please.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So
0: whenever, whenever I analyze a business, um,
1: first of all, you know, I'll kind of, we'll take the tax returns. We'll take the profit and loss reports, and we'll look at the balance sheets to see where, you know, where you're at as far as all the assets in the business go. And, and and kind of step one is to compare those profit and loss reports to the, to the actual tax returns. Um, sometimes there can be a, a difference there that, you know, working with the accountant versus what you're kind of reporting on the profit and loss report itself. Some of those differences, um, or, you know, could be depreciation, could be amortization, depending on how long you own the business. Um, but after looking at your profit and loss reports, because this is what you're generating uh, to, to keep track of your business, um, I'll kind of walk through it line item by line item with the business owner and, and kind of understand it. And it's a process called normalizing those income statements. So, To normalize those income statements, you may have some some expenses that we call it uh, discretionary expenses that a new buyer may not have. So um, some of those numbers could change, and sometimes there are multiple business owners, so um, a, a new buyer buying that business by themselves, they may look at it like, well, there are multiple business owners. And, and someone's getting a, a larger salary than if I were to replace that one business owner with someone with a, you know, sixty to $80,000 a year salary. So kind of, you know, and I don't, I don't want to get right into the weeds Ed, right off the bat, but um, just, just taking those numbers and valuing it from a, um, from, from a couple different standpoints, right? It's good to analyze it from a couple different ways. So. We'll take those EBITDA values that you that you referred to, Ed, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, and kind of put a multiple on that. And then also on top of the EBITDA values, um, add back in owner's wages. So um and, and then that's kind of a
0: separate multiple and compare those multiples. So exactly. So what, what are some, uh, so basically we're taking kind of the net earnings, doing an analysis on that and, and kind of normalizing that because each business has got some different aspects for how they handle their money. And, and as we all know, business owners, we're, we're trying to do things to minimize our, our tax impact. So you've got to, you kind of factor that in there when you look at what the earnings of the business are, but then we've got to m- multiply that by some number. Um, so, Chase, what's, what are some typical multiples that you see in the business, just to kind of give everybody kind of a bottom line before we get into the details of the multiple?
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. So what I see primarily is probably anywhere from um, two to four times on the net profit.
0: Okay, so you, if you've got a business that's making a profit of, say, a half a million a year, just to pick a number, then the business could be worth somewhere between two to four times that, which is a million to $2 million a year, is what you would look to receive for the business. Is that what we're saying? That's correct. Now, okay. it's
1: it's it's a lot more simple with the businesses out there that aren't nearly as asset heavy as what this industry is. So, okay. if, you know, if, if they don't have a whole lot of assets, then multiple becomes... Much more justified I found to a business owner because their investment hasn't been quite as heavy you know on the front side throughout the, the career of the business. Um, in this in this industry, we all know that you know you, you can keep investing, you can keep investing um, and then even after you've invested, you could feel like you could invest more and, be, and that'd be a benefit to you make your life easier on a day-to-day basis. Right, and then and then not to mention you know the inventory values as well. I think if everybody had the you know the dream shop it would be to have a lot of inventory with you know ninety percent of the colors out there to where once they had the, the customer in their shop they didn't ever have to send them anywhere else. So, um, and, and not to mention you know if anything were to go wrong in the shop well, now we can go. Job costs another slab to the job and, and, uh, main production on that job so we can get it out on its installation day. All
0: right. So before we get into the details of okay. multiples, has anybody had a, a formal valuation done of your business? Any of you guys?
2: No, have not.
0: Okay. All right. So this may be new information for, for pretty much all of you then. All right. That's good to know. Yeah, I'm going to know. Okay. So Chase, let's talk about some of the things that that drive the multiple. Uh, there, there are a number of factors in there. You you talked a little bit about inventory and, and capital and that sort of thing. How do those affect the multiple? If you've got a lot of inventory and a lot of machinery, do they do they do you add the value of those to this net earnings times multiple number that you get, or does it just simply influence? the multiple making the multiple higher or lower respectively
1: no that's a good question because the, that multiple number gets thrown around a lot of different ways um and sometimes people are referring to the gross revenue so the overall volume in the business um, sometimes if you you know if you've spoken with a business owner that's talked about a multiple and it's really high it may have included inventory whereas or you know and all the equipment plus the profit
0: so well, I'm trying to figure out how things like the inventory you've got on hand, um, your, your capital equipment investment, things like that. How do they, are they, do they just impact the multiple or do you take earnings times a multiple and then get a number and then add the value of the inventory and the equipment? Right. So,
1: again in this industry like i said it can be a little bit more difficult than the in uh, the average industry because most industries may not be so asset heavy so you can take you can take that multiple multiply it now that number appears really good in comparison to what the assets are um so
0: so you're kind of looking at the inventory and the equipment as, as part of what is what drives the business earnings and drives the value. So it becomes really kind of part of the multiple, it sounds like.
1: 100% right.
2: And okay.
0: Without those,
1: you know, without those assets, you're not creating the cash flow of the business. And, and maybe not without the inventory. You know, okay. the inventory a lot of times has changed, um, even from whenever the business goes, it's taken to market in comparisons to whenever they. Three, six, nine months down the road, whenever sale is actually taking place, you know, that, that inventory could potentially could be fluctuated at that time frame. But okay. uh, yes, yes, if you have machines, if you, you know, those assets are driving that multiple.
0: All right. How about if the owner also owns the the building and the land? How does that factor into to putting a value on the business?
1: Yeah, that's a great question.
0: Um, you
1: know, I I think it's great practice. Um, You know, if you're leasing the property, it's already going into the expenses. What a lot of business owners that I see do, they own the the real estate as well. And they may have a, you know, $500, $1 million, $1.5 million piece of real estate. And so to put that into perspective, it would be, you know, it's good practice to take what a market rent rate would be on that real estate and and, you know, have it as an expense towards the business. So, and that'll give you a lot clearer picture as well. If a buyer were to come in, purchase that, and let's say hypothetically you wanted to be the landlord and you wanted to keep that real estate to sell the business, um, you're going to want to charge them something. If you're not doing that yourself and it's not affected on your you know, on your personal books. Yeah, I know <laughs>
0: um, one, one guy I talked to that sold his business a couple of years ago uh, had just that situation. He wanted to keep the the land of the building and lease them back to the owner. And one of the things that the uh, lender required was a long-term lease. So the lender was confident that the buyer of the business had kind of a set rent, rent amount that was not going to fluctuate a whole lot. And they were also secured in, in having a location that could count on. So the lender tended to kind of get involved in that discussion as well. Is that pretty common? That's, that's
1: very common. And they're they're not gonna, you know, they don't want to loan money on a business where the uh they don't they don't have the rights to say, yes, this, you know, we're gonna have this lease for five years with an additional option for another five-year term as well. Most of the time, if you're working with the small business administration, the SBA lenders, um, they're gonna amortize out a business loan more times than not. I mean, it can all fluctuate, right? Depending on what if if you're buying the value of the real estate. Um, or if you're just buying the business and depending on what both of those values are, but on the business side, you're gonna, you are going to tend to amortize that out to 10 years. If, it's, if the real estate is over 51% of the overall value, then what they'll do is, is kind of take a weighted scale and say, okay, so if I have the overall transaction, let's say it's um, two million and a half million is the real estate 500 is the business then maybe we'll amortize that out to say 18 years, 20 years, depending on what that scale is.
2: Okay. All is right, it better sorry. to separate these out when you're looking at a business and just deal with the businesses separately, deal with the building separately? Because it's really, it's two different type of buyers, you know, probably that are going, going after that.
1: You know, if if you're in the current position of ownership, you're wearing two hats. You know, you may look at it as own the real estate and without this real estate, I don't have a business here. But in the eyes of the lenders, and the eyes of everyone else, you're, you're still wearing two hats. And that's why it's important to, um, you know, to charge yourself that market rent rate back to the business. Um, so, so wear those two hats, say, I'm actually, even though I own both, I'm the commercial landlord. And if I were to rent this building out, how much would I want to, how much would I want to rent it for? And then apply that to the books on the business as well. Because that's going to give you a more accurate representation of yeah. what
2: the profit is. Well, we do rent back to the business now, so the it, uh, but it's all in the same ownership group. So that's
1: okay. so you know, um, that's okay as well. Do you have an idea? You no, know. and then uh um, of getting outside of just business value, but, but typically real estate income is, you know, taxed at a lower rate than what the, um, what your ordinary business income would be taxed at. So hypothetically to separate those entities, this would be something you'd want to check with your, you know, your CPA on. But, uh, maybe able to save you a little bit.
0: You know, one of, one of the things that I've learned in, in talking with business owners going through this process is it's not just, the seller and the buyer talking and a, and a broker, you know, helping helping facilitate that conversation. There's a lender that's going to stick their nose in, have their requirements. You've got an attorney that's going to have recommendations they're going to make sometimes. And you've got a CPA that's going to say, hey, from a tax standpoint, you got to look at this. So it ends up being, uh, it can be a really complex um, complex process with lots of different moving parts, it sounds like
1: there ends up being a lot of people involved in the transaction. So it, it's not just as simple as, you know, I want to sell my business and it's sold tomorrow. You know, there's a, there's a process that goes behind it, but it's, um, what I try to increase or, or a business broker does is try to increase that value as much as possible. You know, working with the right, um, attorneys, if someone doesn't have representation or working with, um, you know, the right lenders that, that, uh be a little bit more familiar with certain industries or certain things. Help that out.
0: Yeah. And obviously this can be a, obviously be, be a pretty complex process. We're not going to cover all the ins and outs today and and a lot of, a lot of weeds we can get into. We want to try to kind of hit the high points and give you a flavor for a few key things to kind of help you get ready for the process. Um, Stephanie, you on the chat, you popped up with a question about valuation and and um, inventory and assets. Did you want to? Did you get the answer that you were looking for for that question?
2: Well, I just want to clarify that I was hearing it correctly. Um, you know, just as he was speaking to like two to four times the net earning and if you were to include inventory and assets in that then you may do that at a lower multiple if you were at the higher multiple then you would consider it as part of what it takes for that net earning to be what it is and just making sure that uh understood that that correctly and clearly
1: as much as i'd like to you know pinpoint anything down and i hope you can respect this answer it's it's really someone needs to analyze what you have, right? I mean, they, they need to take all things into consideration. And so as much as I'd like to, you know, say, this is what you can expect. It can be a little bit more difficult than that. I mean, you're taking all the equipment, you're taking vehicle values, you're taking inventory, you're taking the real estate, you're taking the value of the real estate, you're taking market rents in your area, you know? So, and, and ultimately at the end of the day, and a lender, not just myself, but a lender is going to take all those things into consideration as well for the buyer. And, and they're going to say, well, I I don't know what the market multiple is going to be, but let's analyze these 10 variables that affect how this business runs, how it operates, and um, even outside of the financials, but who this buyer is, what their background is, and and now, you know, what's the risk or reward for them to loan out this money? And um, what the, what is that number? So after all that being said you know they're taking a debt to service ratio on what is the cash flow of the business and and what is the debt going to be service everything that i'm going to be purchasing and am i just going to be purchasing the business or am i going to be purchasing the business and the real estate all the inventory right now so no so i deal i deal a lot with seller financing and the reason why is because it can affect that multiple to benefit both buyer and seller today. So their loan isn't as much today. And, um you know, ultimately the seller's not taking as big of a tax hit and they may not need you know, all that cash today. So, and these are on a little bit larger businesses where there's a lot of inventory involved. There's, um, y- you know, to where the numbers won't necessarily make as, they don't work out as much because there is so much, say, assets or inventories. So let's let's sell majority, let's sell 80% of everything right now. You get cash up front, but let's amortize. Let's say, let's take the inventory, for example, and sell that as it's needed. Um, you know, and, and that can be a, it can be a little bit difficult as well. But um, I mean, just getting as deep as what you may want to know and, and and what to expect, I mean, seller financing is uh um, be very
0: common. So part of what it sounds like is that, okay, you can run through some sort of valuation, get a number of business value, but the lender may not necessarily want to loan you based on that value. They may want, may want to factor that by some reason. And so if you've got partial or full owner financing with that, it can kind of help drive that multiple up and drive what you ultimately get for the business out of that, it sounds like so. Let's look at some uh, factors that, that drive the multiple things that you may want to think about, because uh, a lot of these are things that you can influence as you're planning to sell your business in the future. And one of them is, let me get my computer to work here. Come on, guys. Yeah. How much the business relies on the presence of the owner for the business to run. I call that the, it's kind of like the the, the tall pole in, the, in a circus tent, so to speak, is that you know, if, if, the, if the owner is that long pole in the tent and you pull the owner out of the business and the tent collapses, the business collapses, then you've got a business that's really built around the personality of the owner um, versus a, a business where the owner could disappear for a month and the business is going to continue to run fine. And, and, and Chase, is it fair to say that when the business is fully dependent on the owner, the multiple may be lower then if you've got a business where if the owner disappears, goes on vacation for a month or whatever, it still runs well, you get a higher multiple in that business is more independent of the owner. Is that fair?
1: Yes, I think so. It's a, it's a variable that's taken into consideration that, uh, that, that would affect that. Absolutely.
0: Okay. And, and part of that kind of goes, and this is a, a term I've heard from business brokers over the years is is the is a buyer wanting to buy a business or they want to buy a job? Right. And that, that kind of goes to, to this dynamic, um, you know, other things like, you know, is your business neat and organized, you know, when, when, a, when a lender walks in, that's going to affect their perception of the business a lot, um, things like what is your competitive advantage? Uh, why would, uh, why would, a, uh, a homeowner or a contractor want to buy from you as opposed to your competitor? If you've got that competitive advantage, really well documented, well thought out, it's present in your business. It's pretty obvious. Um, that can, in fact, a multiple too, right, Chase?
1: It absolutely can. Yes. Profit margins. Um, that's a, you know, that's a big one. Okay. Business may be doing, uh, you know, less, less gross revenue, but profit margins may be able to triple. But uh, when other
0: businesses. Yes. Yeah, I, it, it's pretty typical. I, I, I like to, this is kind of a a loose number. It's not firmly researched, but but typically, you know, 10% is a fairly common net in this business. I talk to a lot of businesses that are a lot lower in single digits, you know, 5% or less, which those folks are struggling. But then I run across businesses that are doing, you know, 12, 15, 20, and, and some even a little bit higher. So if you're in a you know if you're a a 4 million dollar a year sales business that's netting 20% versus a 4 million dollar a year sales business that's netting 5% not only do you have less earnings to multiply to get a valuation but the multiple will be different as well because the business is performing better so you kind of alluded to some documents that are needed, Chase. One of the things that um, is I've talked with folks that get ready to sell the business, they've been really kind of surprised at, at how much documentation the, the seller needs to pull together. And I've got kind of a list here. I'm going to put them all up on screen and just kind of let me get them up on screen. Then I'll let you kind of talk to them if you would.
1: So there um, there are a ton of documents that are needed. And uh, I I definitely think it's better to prepare those documents on the front side prior to taking your business to market. One of the, one of the biggest reasons why will be um, just the organization and having those items ready. Whenever you have a serious buyer, they have, you know, whether they're working with a CPA or who it is, and then to speed that process along as well. What you do not want to do is, is, um, you know, have a couple people interested. They say I would like to gather these documents, and it takes you a, an additional two, three weeks a month to, to prepare those. So, I think it's always better to prepare on the front side before, um, you know, before actually moving forward. So, a um, monthly P and L statements. These are, you know, the income statements generated um, typically you know, by your accounting software that you have in the business there. Um, and these are typically, you need three years and depending on how those industry trends are, you may want to have five years. And the reason I say that is because we just went through COVID. There's been a lot of businesses that have varied in those trends, those income trends. Um, you know, and it's it's affected some businesses in a good way and it's affected others in a, in, in a not so much good way. So, um, Depending on those situations, the banks may say, "Hey, we'd like to gather another you know year or two on top of the additional three years." Same for the balance sheets, um, three years on that. Typically, three years on a tax return. Um, and and they're kind of going to
0: take it, all, they're going to take all of those and kind of balance them against each other and make sure everything lines up, right?
1: Correct. So pair the pair the P Ls to the tax returns and kind of figure out pair all those numbers together, um, which is what I had mentioned a little bit before and see how separate they are. Um, generally speaking as well, the tax returns, sometimes banks will actually have you fill out a, a 4506T form, which is not just the banks pulling your tax returns from me or, or from you as the business owner, but um, actually pulling those from the IRS, say these are what they reported as well. So, and, and um, generally speaking, you know, more times than not, the banks will use the tax returns as part of the income. So if you want to, to kind of go back and hit on valuation a little bit, let's say hypothetically, you know, you're, you're uh, take a trip to Disneyland with a family and that's a $10,000 trip. And that saves you hypothetically, let's say 25% in, in um, taxes at the end of the year. You do that for a three year period. So that saves you $7,500 in taxes. Whenever it came when it when it comes to a valuation standpoint, that ten thousand is multiplied, say, by that three three times number, maybe and maybe even more, three, four times. So that seventy five hundred is now, you know, valued at thirty to forty thousand whenever it comes to valuation. And that's part um, of that
0: normalization you talked about on net earnings, right?
1: That is correct. And you know, when I work with a business owner, my goal is is to not be unrealistic, but to also pull out those normalizations to where it it can increase the value. I mean, my goal is is to, um, you know, to be realistic, but again, to sell the business as much as possible, what's worth. So, yes, not, and they may have some discrepancy against some of those what we would call addbacks. Um, you know, to increase that. Because what you show on the you show on the tax return's bottom line we'll still add back you know owner's owner salary um, depreciation in the business um, say owner's health insurance if you're running that through the business all those items that the new buyer may not have as expense towards the business
0: now one of the things that I've I run into not often but I I've, I've heard it can happen is that you've got a business owner owns a fab shop they own, they own the land of the building and then they may also own some other, maybe some commercial property that's adjacent. And so they've, uh, they've got that as, a, as an investment. And when you start pulling the P&Ls, the balance sheets, tax returns, that sort of thing, you find out that all of this is lumped together. The owner is selling the fab shop, but he doesn't necessarily want to sell that other commercial property or some other business entity that he's kind of rolled up under one umbrella. Um, how does that impact things when you start pulling these financial statements, figuring out earnings and multiples? They've, they've kind of mashed all this together. What, what kind of problems does that create?
1: It, it creates a, you know, a paperwork nightmare. It's nothing's nothing's clean. Nothing's legible for everybody that's going to be analyzing this. And, it, you know, that could be up to how many different people. It could be a multiple, you know, myself, a broker, a different broker that you're interviewing. Uh, the, the banks and maybe a buyer is going to have you know interviewing a couple different lenders as well. So they, they have two lenders involved. The CPA they're that's working with them just to kind of say, hey, can you, you mind to double check this for me? If it's not legible, it becomes a very difficult business to sell. Um, so that's why having those clean financials is very very important. And it may sound like a lot. No, I don't. I don't need to worry about it. But if you you know if you're considering selling the business it's very important um so what i've actually done with a lot of business owners and you know they they've been running everything as, as a bind through all their different income streams into say the business they've actually had to go back to the cpa and and separate separate out all those documents and the CPA has gone through, you know, their bank statements for the last three years and regenerate accurate profit and loss reports. So and that, and now there's a separation between the profit and loss reports and what you actually showed on the tax returns. So it's cleaner now, but it's still not quite as clean as as if, you know, it was done right on the first time. And now the tax return is based off of that you know, whatever it was done the first time.
0: Yeah, so that, um, I would imagine that when a, when there's a, a letter of intent, and we'll talk about that process in a minute, where a, a prospective buyer wants to, you know, start looking at the, the valuation of the business and looking at all these documents, and then a lender takes a look at it, and all of a sudden, you've got to do a pause, sort all this stuff out, regenerate p balance sheets, et cetera. Uh, I would imagine that probably causes a lender probably some pause, and and could possibly affect what they're willing to to lend on the purchase. Right. That's correct. Yep. So these yeah. are really when you start looking at this documentation, these are these are things that that as you are looking down the road of selling your business, getting all the stuff in order today, so that if you're thinking of selling three years, five years, ten years down the road saves you a lot of hassle, saves you the additional expense of a CPA or somebody sorting all this out and can impact what the final selling price of the business is and, and how easy it is to put the deal together. So those are, those are really critical. And, and it's part of the planning that I like to encourage owners to do. when I'm talking with them about, you know, if you're, if you're looking at exit strategy, anytime in the next, you know, five years, give or, give or take, this is what you, you got to be, you got to have set up. And if, and I, it's still I still get shocked with even five to ten million dollar fabricators that I talk to that just don't do monthly p and ls. I get shocked when I run into that. and and so you know folks who are not doing that at all have got to start doing that because trying to recreate those after the fact are expensive, tough. you can't get it right, and it will impact the value of your business and what a what a lender will own. So all right. We got about fifteen minutes left. Let me uh, let me do a quick pause. I got some additional thoughts to kind of wrap this up. But before I do, let me see if anybody's got any questions. We we've thrown some lingo around. We've covered a lot of stuff. Um, any questions you guys have got? Anything that's not clear? We need to go back and clarify.
3: <clears throat> yeah, I think I uh, I stepped out for a quick second when you were going over. Um... One of the biggest multiplier factors being, you know, the involvement of, uh, you know, the owner and, you know, how well the business can run without the owner. Yeah. You know, can you, I mean, can you just expand on that for, for a quick second and really, you know, what what that looks like, you know, for, for smaller shops, you know, sub 2 million shops that, you know, where the owner's pretty much doing most of the heavy lifting all the time. Um, You know, how does a guy like that, you know, prepare to, you know, ever, you know, look at selling?
0: It's a great question. Chase, how would you answer that one? I think
1: a lot of that's going to be dependent whenever you're at a smaller shop like that, say $2 million and you have, uh, a lot of it will be dependent on the profit margin. So that $2 million, you know, if, if you're a company that's profiting 5%, that's $100,000. And at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's all the profits that the business or cash flow is being generated by the business, right? So you can look at that as that's 100% of the salary being taken, taken now. If you're a business that's profiting, say, 20, 25%. And you can hypothetically say, if I wanted to replace myself with a position, And they're going to do, you know, eighty percent of the work that you're say putting in right now. Mm One hundred thousand, that profit is twenty percent. Well, now there's a lot of money left on the table. to Say, yeah, we have someone that's doing my job, and I kind of still oversee everything, but I'm not the guy that's doing the sales and taking that sale, going out to template the next day, you know, programming the job, and then ultimately pulling then for installers as
0: well, whenever they're not,
1: you
0: know, whenever they're not showing that. So if you've got a $2 million business and netting 5%, that's going to be a really, it's a, it's a tougher sell. It's, it's also tougher from a valuation standpoint, but if you've got one of this netting a $2 million business netting, say 20, 25%, then now you've got a lot of additional cash that a prospective buyer can say, all right, I can, I can take some of that cash and hire a salesperson, hire a templater. And I can learn to run, you know, the, the day-to-day ops part of the business and eventually work myself out of it. it. You know, there's there's a little more for a potential buyer to work with than if, say, the business is only netting
3: 5%. Man, are you looking at, I mean, does it, does it, does it matter if on your reporting, are you looking at cash basis or accrual basis or does it matter?
1: You know, the majority of businesses in this industry are accrual basis. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not pizza shops that, that come in, they give them cash today, and then they, they walk out the door and the job's done. You know, they'll, they'll give you the deposit. And, uh, it's, and so, it, so the majority of these industries are um,
0: accrual basis. Well, and when, when, your- hmm. and when you're looking at three to five years of of what are the patterns for the business, which is part of what you're looking at with all these this financial analysis and all these financial statements, they're looking at... Um, at the, you know, what's, what's the, the long-term trend. So cash versus accrual is not quite as critical when you start looking at that. Um, Courtney, you look like you raised your hand. Did you have a question that you wanted to ask? Thank you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, so I, I just had a question about net earnings. Um, the way we do our business, we, we're, we're a you know, corporation. So we pay ourselves, you know, a W2, me and my brother, but we do take draws from the business and ultimately that kind of comes out of the net earnings. Um, so when, when you're using the net earnings to, you know, as part of that calculation, do you subtract those draws first or do you leave those in when you calculate the net earnings? So it sounds like, are you, you're an S corporation uh, and i as an LLC as well. Yeah. We're S corp. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there will be a, there will be on your tax return. There'll be a, um, I believe it's a K one. Yeah, K one. Yeah. Yep, and that just shows the distribution of the owner's earnings on there, which will be factored back to uh, a term called seller's discretionary earnings, which are EBITDA plus the owner's earnings. It'll it'll still be taken into consideration at those distributions. Okay. I, did I answer that right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so it, I, I, I get it. Yeah, and going back to your question as well. Um, so sticking about-
2: with that sticking with that two million dollar company. Staying with that two million dollar company, it's an S Corp, and there's let's say there's two owners and those owners again, they get a salary, health insurance and all of that. How is that figured into the that bottom line? Is that added back in or
1: it it could be added back in. One way to do that would be to take uh depending on what the owner's salaries are, if they're above you know, market value to, to replace that owner as a as a normal employee, then the difference you know could be take,
2: be added back in. And if those if those employees did if the owners didn't need to be replaced, unless there's their systems in place that you know they're just kind of there, able to leave for a month, um, so it's not really a replacement thing. Does that become more valuable then, as far as those salaries?
1: I mean, it, you know, if you can prove that you're not working in the business a lot, there's a ton of profit left over, you're paying yourself a certain amount of money and, you know, the business is still performing uh, very well. And I, I definitely think it's going to be more valuable. Um, a lot of, you know, and a lot of that's going to depend on the buyer as well. Right? So everybody could have you know, a different viewpoint on on the situation. Uh, sometimes they may be from the industry and sometimes they may not. So it could affect um, how 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 a buyer views the business as well. That's not just so for this, you, you know, this industry. That'd be for all industries.
2: How do you find that buyer, you know, that, uh, you know, especially if you're in a small market, you know, you don't want word out there. You know, you, you're basically opening books, which I, I guess you'd have an NDA on it or something like that if they look at it but but still how do you find that buyer without um just kind of spreading it out in the industry and uh it's, you, it, you know this
1: is that's a great question let's say this is probably what brings uh the majority of value to to what a business broker does outside of marketing it on say the mls as, and just publicly marketing it right you, you know business brokers don't Tend to do near as many deals as what you know, a residential real estate agent would, it's much more time consuming. I have a you know, I, I work with a, a larger company called First Choice Business Brokers, and I think our database is uh, they, they say it's millions of people. So, depending on what the you know, what industry you're in, you can do direct mail marketing, um, you can do, do email marketing, you can you, you market it to different business. Uh, platforms people are you know actively looking to purchase a business and as far as the confidentiality side goes create three different uh, three different steps so just kind of like a one page business overview and uh, it, you know it won't have the business name the location anything like that other than a general location and a general location will even be Signed off by the business owner when taken to market, um, as as to how I'm going to advertise it. So, for instance, if you're in a super small market, you may want to market it to three or four different counties as opposed to one city where there are you know, thirty different fabricators.
2: Four counties is our entire business. state. <laughs>
0: right.
2: I'm, I'm guessing there's not Hawaii's too many here.
3: shops in Kauai.
0: <laughs> yeah, Hawaii is a little unique in that respect. Yeah, right. Although uh, you know you advertise a Hawaii business for sale on the mainland, that that could have its own draw in itself, couldn't it? It could. Yeah. So I think like the sound like the short answer is because you know if you're working with a broker, then the broker has got mechanisms for making that business visible, helping advertise it, um, and chase it. it. Sounds like you guys have got ways to do that to, to sort of protect the identity of the business. So. You know, a guy like Norbert's not too worried about his customers running and, you know, jumping ship or his employees jumping ship, right?
1: That's the overall goal. I mean, that's that's the goal depending on what situation you're in.
2: So do you guys work like typical real estate, you know, where they deal with, uh, you know, 6% commissions and which are everything's negotiable? What, What are fees normally on the business brokerage?
1: Absolutely. So I work off of a uh, kind of a sliding scale, depending on what the value of the business is. And uh, typical typical fees, I would say, uh, range from say roughly 6 to 15%. And kind of right there in the middle is, I would say, the majority of the time.
0: All right. We're getting close to our top of the hour. I would I would like to kind of wrap up the first hour. And then again, we'll keep this open for 20 or 30 minutes. Let me hit a couple of uh, just a few closing thoughts to kind of round this out a little bit. Um, so one one thing I think it's important is that uh, typically, uh, typically buyers are more educated about this process than sellers. And so one of the reasons that, that I wanted to start getting some of this information out there is that as I have talked with with business owners wanting to sell their business, they don't understand a lot of things we've covered in the last hour. And, and as you can probably tell, listening to the chase, there's even more information out there that's that's really important. That's that's good to know. And a lot of times, a seller will be uh, excuse me, a buyer will be really um, really well educated because they will have studied and learned and asked questions, and, and they're they're prepared. And it doesn't mean they necessarily have an advantage, but I think it's important for a prospective seller to get educated on the process so that you don't get surprised. I've, I've talked to business owners who have have been through this process and they've been shocked at, at how much work it was and that sort of thing. Uh, so I think, you know, preparing for that now is really important. We've talked about the documentation that's needed. Obviously, if you want to change how well your business runs without you, that's not an overnight change. That's something that you can do to impact your multiple if you want to make changes to to drive your net earnings up, impact that EBITDA number, that's not a, obviously not an overnight change. So those are things to start with now that are that are really important. If you think as you prepare for whatever life after this business looks like for you, and so a good game plan is to to have a, a goal. What is it you want to do when you're not doing this business anymore? And start to put some numbers around, all right, if I want to travel and I want to go, let's say I've, I've been, you know, drooling over the Viking cruises brochure and I want to do every cruise they've got for every river in Europe, you know, something like that. Well, you can sit down and figure out, okay, the, you know, the, the penthouse suite for those things cost X number of dollars and the flights. And you can start putting some numbers around this stuff. Uh, if you want to go play the great golf courses of the world, because you love golf, um what are the greens fees at st andrews what's it cost to stay there you know you you can start putting numbers around this kind of thing plus your regular living expenses and figure out what it is you need to net from the sale of your business that gives you that goal that objective it puts a number on it that's something that's tangible and then if you take the information you got here today or you talk to somebody like chase and do a formal valuation get the current value of your business and so what that does is now you've got a current value. You've got a desired sales price, a desired value you'd like to have. Figure out your time frame. Do you want to do that in three years, five years, 10 years? What's that look like? So now you've got a metric business value that you can track. You've got a time frame, and you can start to put together that game plan to get you where you want to go. And I think that's, really important to to have that thought process and begin that that planning process now. That's really critical because as you can tell, hopefully from the last hour, jumping into the sale of the business is much more complex than selling a, a house or a car or anything like that. It can take a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of things you got to do. And you can influence what that sales price is. So that's, that's important to look at. Um, something else I think will help you out as well is that you know, we, like I said earlier, we've only covered a few topics here. Uh, one of the things that I've done, Chase was nice enough to sit down with me and we uh, we recorded three podcast episodes where we kind of did a deeper dive into some of these factors in those podcast episodes. Uh, if you hit FabricatorsCoach uh, fabricatorscoach.com, well, fabrica- they're on fabricatorscoach.com, and they're also on any of your normal podcast platforms that you listen to. If you hit the fabricatorscoach podcast, you can pick these up. We preceded those three episodes with Chase by three episodes with a guy named Aaron Crowley. If you don't know Aaron, he owned a fab shop for over 20 years, um, sold it a couple of years ago. We talked through his experience in selling the shop and what he went through. He was almost totally unprepared. And he, a lot of the things we've talked about that could be challenges, he ran into those and more. Uh, Aaron's also the guy who uh, developed the no lift install cart, so you may have heard his name from there. Uh, but the three episodes from Aaron have already been posted, and then I think the episodes with Chase—I don't know the timing on those offhand—but if I think the first one may be up, or if not, it'll be up in the next week or two. And we're putting those out about every two weeks, so you can you can go through those six episodes, give you a good idea to to, to get a little bit deeper dive. Um, And then obviously, if you have additional questions for Chase, we've got his contact information here on screen. Um, Let's see, we've got mobile and office numbers. And then you can see his uh, email address is chase.buzenbart at fcbb.com. And FCBB for podcast listeners is First Choice Business Brokers. So you can uh, you can email him there and hit him at these phone numbers. But I want to uh, before I wrap this up, Chase any final comments.
1: You know, I'd be more than happy to talk with whoever may want to do a potential value. I I don't typically charge anything for like for this to have the conversation, to analyze things, and just kind of give you you know some some uh, feedback as far as that goes. I mean, to get into you know real real valuations and and uh, very very in depth. Level valuations, you know, there's sometimes a fifteen hundred, two thousand dollar price points, depending. Um, do things like that, but I think the overall goal is, is that, you know, if if you're considering something in the next five years, just kind of do a check on the business and um, see where you would like to be. and hit on those points that what are you going to do after the fact? And, you know, do you have a goal in mind, which brings me to one of the biggest reasons that people sell is, is just because of burnout. they have been doing something for so long and that's the reason why they're, they're just ready for a change of life other than the, uh, you know, what I would call the dismal D's, whether that's partnership, dissolution, uh, death, disease, divorce, any other factors that kind of hitch blindside you into selling your business more promptly than if you're, preparing to sell so i'd be happy to walk with you through those things i think it's important to do a couple years, 2 3 years and even um you know if you're still in the building process 5 years out so you can have that hypothetical number in mind so um, one of the guys mentioned that how to, how to, how valuations affected businesses are typically sold off the, the historical cash flow of the business you know um which is where a lot of business owners, well, it has the potential to do this. And if I were to land this other cabinet maker, you know, we'd have the potential to do this. I think the main thing that you should take away is, is uh, if if it has that potential, it's good to put that potential in place that you see fit prior to the selling, you know, selling your business, because then it will, it will uh, affect that multiple and it'll affect the valuation of your business overall. from a I'm a historical standpoint.
0: All right. Well, we've run. Well, thanks for that, Chase. We've run over just a few minutes and I apologize for folks who've had other things scheduled, but I do want to thank you for taking time out of your Thursday. Hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, if you've got questions, comments, you can contact either one of us. Again, thanks for, for joining us here on, on the webinar.